welcome to the Milestones, Motivation, and Money podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and happy Valentine's Day. This is a very special Valentine's episode. We'll be talking about the authority of law and love. And we have a very special guest as usual. So of course, everyone knows the dating pool has pee in it. (laughs) This is Definitely nothing that's new, but there are so many people who are taking steps to do extraordinary and unordinary things to meet the love of their life. And our guest today has done one of those things. She went on a reality dating show. She's also an attorney and I've been knowing her for a few years. We met some years back in a professional development class, attorney Simone Redwine who will be joining us today. Now, Simone, she's an attorney, a reality star. She was on Ready to Love Last Resort. It's a show that's featured on OWN TV. Simone's a graduate of Cornell Law School. Simone owns her law firm where she practices personal injury, wrongful death, and she represents clients for car wrecks and more. So amazing, beautiful soul, funny, hilarious. She also hosts a podcast, the Ages and Stages podcast with her new beau. And she has a legal podcast. Girl, is that legal? So make sure you tune in to both of those on YouTube. And let's get ready for some really good, fun conversation around love, law, money, and all that jazz. So let's welcome Simone to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on because, girl, your personality is beyond amazing and (laughs) the things that you've done. So I think this will be such a fun conversation around law and love and all of Simone. Yes, let's do it. So how about you start off and tell our listeners a little bit more about you and how you came into this place of where you are now and becoming an attorney? Okay. So I grew up always knowing that I wanted to be an attorney. I'm lucky in that, you know, there are some kids who like go through high school. They don't know what they wanted to do. I always knew and so did my friends. I was like a hood lawyer. I was like the lawyer you didn't have to pay because she probably didn't know exactly what she was doing, like all throughout college, high school, all of that. And so I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And I had decided that when I was young, because I wanted a job where I could help people, but I wouldn't be poor. Because, you know, it's a lot of jobs where you're helping people, but you don't get paid what you're worth, like teachers, for example. So I earned a full scholarship to the University of Pittsburgh to study finance. And I loved Pitt. It was the perfect school for me and for my goals. And whenever I mentor students, I always say, major in what you feel like you can make A's in. Like, do not go to college and major in political science. They really tried to put me on a pre-law political science track. And I said, hell to the gnaw. And they were like, well, why not? And I said, well, because what is poly- What is political science? They kept trying to get me to get into political science. 
And I said, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's the study of politics. I said, well, how much money do they make? And they get to stutter it. I said, nope, I don't want that. Sign me up for finance. <laughs> and so ultimately I majored in finance. I went off, I got a scholarship to Cornell Law School. And I focused on real estate law and business law there, as well as death penalty, capital punishment work. And fast forward to now, I have my own practice. I practice personal injury law, car wrecks, wrongful death, and so forth. I pride myself on I bankrupt multi-million dollar medical device companies, among others, who make dangerous products that kill kids. That's fun. And now I'm just at a place where being my own boss, I get to set my own schedule and I get to define happiness for myself. And it's so amazing when you work for yourself. I've been down that road of full-time entrepreneurship a few times. And for you to own your own law firm, it goes back to the basics of business. So when you think about mm -hmm. learning, how do you actually start a business? How do you get an LLC? And how do you separate your personal finances from your business finances? Who taught you that information? Undergrad. No, it was undergraduate business studies, mm -hmm. which is also why I'm a huge advocate for studying business. If you, if you want to become an attorney, I fir firmly believe you should take business classes. If you're not the type to want to be a business major, that's okay, but you should certainly take those classes because I think a lot of attorneys make the mistake or law students make the mistake of going into law because they think that it's a uh, opportunity for a stable income and a stable profession as someone's employee, wrong. The only thing that's stable about practicing law is if you do it for yourself, because you can control the variables like your income streams. And so I did learn a bit from undergraduate business school, but then I had to add to it and really take courses, make mistakes, and those kind of things to learn about things like the value of an LLC. Law school helps, but real life helps you put it into context. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I always say we have to take advantage of the resources we have to educate ourselves in these various areas. And some, yeah. people, some people would not put that correlation together of, of business and law, but no matter the type of law, you have to understand the basics of business. <laughs> Thinking back, if you can think back to when you first started your company and when you wanted to start, of course, entrepreneurship is not pretty. It's not right. one of those things that's perfect. Hindsight, what struggles did you have in the very beginning? Gosh, I, first of all, I was a terrible boss. Oh my gosh. Because I'm very ADD. So I have a lot of ideas in my head. The challenge I have is stopping, putting them in writing, and creating assignments for my employees to execute. So at my height, I had six employees. And one, I realized that was far too much. But I also realized you cannot have employees if you're unwilling to sit down and develop policies and procedures in writing, not just the ones in my head. So I had to create policies and procedures manuals so that everyone knew the rules. I'm a rule follower, so I should have known better, I feel like. But for example, what's the rule on how to request time off? Well, when you have a small business, initially I didn't even think about that because I was accustomed to like, I see everybody every day, our office is small. But it came a day when somebody asked for bereavement leave because their dog died and I darn near lost it. I was like, are you kidding me? 
But for them, their dog was a kid and they were like, well, I'm telling you today, I'm not coming in today because my dog died, but we had a big motion due. So for me, it was realizing that when you own a small business like a law firm, you don't just get to practice law. I have to be an office manager. I have to do these different sub assignments. And so that's when I realized, and I, I realized, if you're not going to do it right, Simone, hire someone who is. So there were definitely a number of, of trials and tribulations with that, as well as one of the biggest things was realizing all clients are not good clients and figuring out what, what, do, what does it look like when a client is more expensive, when it's more expensive to have them than not. And then how to properly decline. Because as a new business owner, you're so concerned about paying your bills, making your mortgage, making your payroll, that I had a tendency to take all the clients, you know, everyone that came. And when you do that, sometimes you realize, well, you often realize that some of those clients, they don't pay their bills on time. They are not reliable, especially because some of my cases, most of my cases are contingency meaning I don't get paid until I win money for you. So it was definitely a journey. But as I've worked through those things, then it became fun because it was definitely not fun for a number of years. Oh, wow. I can imagine. And, you know, I remember when I was in that place of, of building a team and you have to build those policies and procedures, it can be a bit overwhelming, Hmm. especially when you're growing uh, faster than you anticipate. Right. But it, it's, you know, it brings so much joy as well, just to build something for yourself and where you're not having to deal with things of a workplace. And I'm sure before you started your own law firm, you, you work for some others. So was that the working for other people and seeing maybe they were doing something wrong? Was that sort of the driving factor for you to start your own company? Oh, for sure. I don't like working for people that are stupider than me. That's just like a <laughs> mantra and a rule. Oh my like, goodness. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to work with someone who is stupider than you and, and gets paid more than you do because that stupid person then gives you stupid instructions and wastes your time frequently. And in the legal space, it's particularly frustrating because as an attorney, I don't like losing. I don't want to lose. So honestly, a large part of that frustration for me came from the fact that my boss is a philosophy major. So all he cares about is the theory of law and the legal concepts and all of these things. Whereas I'm like, what about the bottom dollar, the bottom line and the, the dollar? And in the end, even though the law says we're right, if our client by pursuing this lawsuit is gonna lose money because of negative PR, negative publicity, social media attacks, blah, 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 then we shouldn't do this stupid thing, right? And you know the client loses money, et cetera, et cetera. Then it comes to a point where I'm like, this is a waste of my time. So I basically, I had instances, multiple instances where you know, I had to miss time from, I missed my sister's graduation from college and different things like that for work. And then I realized that my work wasn't even valued. So it's kind of like having a boyfriend who doesn't appreciate you. 
no matter what you do, it's not like you have the ability to make him appreciate you. He's either going to wake up and do it or not. And so I just got to the point where I realized I'm in an environment where no matter how hard I work, they're going to ask me to work harder and they're still not going to value my talent. So I just better create an environment where I'm valued. And that's what I did. Wow. And, you know, for someone who's listening, that might be some encouraging and motivating words for them because we do have to take that time to self-reflect and figure out if we're in the right space, if the people surrounding us are really treating us the way we should be treated, if we're paid the equitable pay that we should be receiving and all these things that really make us who we are in our careers or drive us towards those things in our business. And you Mm -hmm. talked about a few um, things that you've overcome working for other people and then things that you've overcome in your business. I want to take it all the way back to, to college. So you Mm -hmm. went to Cornell university, which is a prestigious school and being a minority at Cornell, I know now their numbers are are pretty low with when we look at diversity, especially for the African-American population, I believe it's four, maybe 5%. So probably when you were in school, it's probably a bit lower. So what was that Mm -hmm. like? And what challenges did you have to overcome at Cornell Law School? So a lot of the challenges actually came from white students who decided I didn't belong. So I very quickly had to explain to them, hey, listen, I am here for your benefit. I am here because they have decided that you, ma'am, are so ignorant, are so isolated, and are so naive in your view of the world that just by having me in the classroom with you, you're going to graduate a little less ignorant and be of a little bit more value to the legal community. Therefore, that is in part why I'm here. And therefore, it would behoove you to shut up, listen, You don't have to agree with my viewpoint or what I have to say, but you do have to recognize that girls like me will be on your jury. Girls like me will be your clients or opposing you. And because I come from a a background and a demographic, I'm speaking specifically to like the girls I went to school with who were from Park Avenue. And he would complain that their dad wouldn't send a helicopter to the Ithaca airport to take them home for Christmas break, those girls. That just my presence makes you a better person. So I don't wanna hear your lip. I don't want to hear nothing about this. Oh, if I were black, I could have gotten into Harvard. I don't wanna hear any of that. If you're black, you would still be here. If I, actually, if you were black, you wouldn't even be here. Cause most of the reason you're here is cause your daddy bought the amphitheater on campus so I that example is just simply an example of how I had to step foot with far more confidence than everyone else because I knew that it was that there were other students there whose job was just to break down lines because they felt I stole their opportunity at life or that girls who look like me stole their opportunity to go to Harvard or to go to better schools or have more opportunities when in fact Cornell understood and appreciates diversity, yes, but I'm, I'm there because I'm awesome. I'm so brilliant because I've gotten here on my own and you've gotten here carried on the backs of Daddy Warbucks, your father. Like I really went to school with Arthur Anderson's son, like the accounting company. I think they went belly up doing some fraud 
you know how those corporate scammers are. But I think because and because I walked with such confidence, other people were like, dang, that's Simone. That girl is fearless. Because I also made the most of my experience in that I was determined to get every dollar's worth. For example, I would ask the questions other people were afraid to ask because everybody there wanted, except for me, wanted to fake it till they make it. You know, they wanted to really pretend like they knew what was going on. And the professor would be like, okay, any questions? Every, it would be like a huge amphitheater, like a hundred kids. And I would, no one would say anything. And I would say, me. <laughs> and I would say, listen, I really didn't understand your example of this versus this. Can you elaborate? And I remember one time the professor was like, all right, can anybody help Miss Redwine? No one answered. I said, see, professor, they don't know either. And we would continue. So it was very different in that it was a very narrow, small Black community, including my class had 16 Black people, 16, one thing. That was it. So, you know, needless to say, dating challenging. There was like one cute guy. So, of course, and so there was the dating and then there was, you know, of course, being different in that minority status. But what I also appreciated is Cornell had a definitely, they had a holistic perception of diversity. And it's all about perspectives. And so, you know, with you being in that particular environment, I'm sure it definitely shaped you into the woman you are today and even the obstacles that you have been through. But can mm-hmm. you name one particular instance throughout your life, any obstacles or challenges that you face that sticks with you on a daily basis? So one thing that I always realized is never take a job without understanding your worth. So when I graduated, the economy had crashed. It was 2008. And I had been told all these horror stories about how Black associates really do not last in big firms. So big firms were significant because if you could get into one in 2008, when I was 25 and I knew nothing, fresh out of law school, my starting salary was $150,000. I said, wait a minute, y'all gonna pay me $150,000 to keep my panties on. You sure? Cause I'm gonna do it. And they were like, yes. I was like, great. This is phenomenal. Completely legal. I knew nothing, 25 year old, $150,000. So basically I was rich. So I take the job and I keep trying to figure out why is it that they keep saying, come up with an exit plan. You got three years and they're gonna kick you out of there. Well, I later came to learn that kind of how it works is all the firms want to be able to say we're committed to diversity so they like to be able to say that they have you know a certain number of african-american attorneys there the problem is what they do is they recruit them fresh out of law school because we're cheap and then they let us go around they let us go around our third year practicing generally saying oh it wasn't a good fit meaning we didn't like to play golf or they couldn't understand like you know our like they didn't want to chill with us would generally be the issues. And we wouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt a lot of times, just as far as work was related. So long story short, I got into around my second year, economy was low and the work started to dry up. Well, I learned that's one of the ways that they try to force you out of a firm or make you think you're not good enough and that you should quit. So needless to say, Cornell, I, I, my confidence I developed at Cornell reinforced to me, you know, that I was the ish. I made Dean's list. I did quite well. 
So when the second year comes about and I'm working on this all male team, right? And the good work starts coming and, but they're not passing it to me. Well, what I discover is one night I'm looking for a memo that I had done on the work computer and I just put my name in and I search. And what I discover is part of the reason why I'm there, why they keep African-American and other minorities always on staff at these big firms is because they have, in order to get big contracts, they have to submit diverse teams. So when I search, what I found is these RFPs, which were like requests for production or request, sorry, requests for proposals, where we are proposing, let's say, to, to Viacom, to MTV, to the New York Giants, that we want to get a contract with them. And then we say, look, this is our diverse team. For these different team, for the big sexy employers that demanded diversity, like Coca-Cola or FedEx, my face was on almost all of these. And they'd say, look at this cute little black girl. Look at this cute little Ivy League black girl. We've got her. She's at our firm. This is the kind of girl that's going to be on your diverse team. But yet and still, I didn't have any work. I was all dried up, but they got the contract. So I was not going to let them make me think I was less than. Because if I'm not awesome, why are you putting my name on these requests for proposals? And more importantly, why are you winning them on my back? So what I did was I printed out some of the sexiest ones that they got. I went into the managing partner's office and I said, hey, just wanted to let you know about my availability and that I'm, I'm really excited to take on some of these new projects. I understand that you guys just got a new contract with, let's say the New York Giants. You got a new contract with the New York Giants and I am excited to staff it. They're like, oh, thanks, but that, that team has been staffed. I said, oh, well, what about the Coca-Cola deal? Oh, we're all good there too. And FedEx, I said, well, it seems that there's some space for me because then I print out all the RFPs. They said, well, I see that the proposals all included me, yet I haven't been involved. So I'm not sure, let me know who is it that I need to talk to or will you speak to them on my behalf? On Monday, I am ready to transition to some new projects and add them to my schedule. And his mouth fell open. I think he might've sharked himself a little bit. He didn't know I knew my worth. And once he knew that I knew, he knew they couldn't pull that stuff they do at the end of year review that says, hey, I just don't think this is really working. I think you should start looking elsewhere. No, I'm looking right here. Because what we don't, what you don't want is for me to let Coca-Cola and this person and FedEx and everyone to know that you are just using my brown face and our brown faces to get the deal and give them to your homeboy's son. So that is one obstacle that I overcame. Once I had that, I have no problem with getting what I wanted because they feared my intellect. I wasn't aggressive as they often define black women. I wasn't nasty or any of that. I outwitted them and they fear a witty, intelligent black woman. Absolutely. And, you know, just listening to you, you definitely are an outspoken person and you're telling how you're really going against the grain or how you went against the grain in some of these instances. Now, someone who's listening 
they may be saying, oh, well, this is a modern woman and she's modern. Do you consider yourself a modern woman? I don't really know what modern, like what they mean by that. I mean, if it means, you know, I use tampons and take birth control, absolutely. But I still want my man to take out the trash and mow the lawn. You know, I don't want to be equal. I don't want to take turns mowing the lawn, but I do believe that I can do a job. Most jobs as good as a male, you know, I can't firefight as good as a guy because I don't work out. But if, if that's what modern means, but I'm also very nurturing. I really enjoy being a woman. I enjoy being allowed to sit in my femininity. I enjoy in a relationship being allowed to be a woman. I frequently used to complain about not being allowed to nurture, like to be the woman, because there are some men who are sometimes resistant to nurturing, maybe because they didn't get enough. But I certainly do believe in that balance. I know the definition. It can, well, it, I, it's that Kevin Samuels definition. Well, that mean? Not the Kevin Samuels, but it's a bit okay. convoluted. So everyone, everyone has their own definition. But I guess mm-hmm. in this particular instance, you know, when we think about the modern woman, so many people have said, oh, feminism and women's rights and all of these things have, have evolved to where women want to do all of these things that, you know, 60, 70 years ago, people would say the man should be doing. And so some people will consider themselves a modern woman. If you're a woman who uh, you're taking on this career, uh, like you're an attorney and most people Mm -hmm. will say, Hey, that's not for a woman or 50, 60 years ago, they'll say, that's not for a woman. And you're outspoken and you stand up the status quo and you're sort of redefining what it is to be a woman. And but everyone has their own definition. It, it sounds like you ha- you definitely have your own. <laughs> I can say it, that. But I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely am a leader. Mm-hmm. And to the extent it, it in- includes leading and running her own business, heck yeah. And my boyfriend really, really loves it. He's very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're getting close to get into some of those love and relationship questions. And oh gosh, <laughs> I, but but tr- as, as we sort of transition to that topic, how does sort of being in that position, I would consider being an attorney a powerful position. How does being in a powerful position impact your love life or relationships? Well, it definitely reduces the number of men I can date. It reduces the quantity, but absolutely not the quality. And okay. I say that because I've learned like, I cannot date a man without a college degree. Now there might be an exception, a super exception, if it's like perhaps someone who grew up as a child actress and has always been entertainment or something like that. But when I've dated men without degrees, they've really mistreated me. And I don't know if it's because, well, part of it was, I felt like they felt the need to continually show me that they were smarter than me or as smart as me. They would frequently make reference to, well, even though I didn't go to college, I sure know such and such, or talk about how valuable, much more valuable they feel common sense is than book smarts. And they equate book smarts with, you know, going to college. They would also, they are very addicted to money because money was what they would use to prove, to feel like, I'm worthwhile, like, no, I didn't go to college, but I make more money than college educated people do. So therefore, this is why I'm great. 
And this is why I'm of value. And so I definitely had to just stop dating them. I, I made numbers of exceptions and you'll have people out there who say, you shouldn't eliminate a whole group of people. Yeah, you, sometimes you have to, because first of all, I can't date everybody. That would be gross. And so that was one aspect of it. And then the second aspect of it is men will say they want, sometimes that they want a partner and da, 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 but sometimes they really don't. So you'll have to look at their actions. So like I dated a guy who he was an engineer and worked at a factory and could not understand for the life of him why I would check my phone at seven or eight o'clock at night, almost implying I must be cheating. And I just decided, you know, anybody as dumb as you're behaving, I can't deal with anyway. So this won't work. This won't work. I definitely understand. And I think yeah. some of those guys that are not as accomplished, they have to have that mindset to date up. And if they don't, you're like, yeah. what the heck? It, it gets difficult. The more uh, successful you become, the more accolades, um, the p- dating pool definitely gets a bit smaller. And mm-hmm. men are intimidated by successful women. That's That's always been my perspective. At least the men that I've encountered intimidated by successful women, unless of course they're successful themselves. Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's basically what it bears down. I had, I had a friend who used to have a crush on me and he used to say, he said, you know, Simone, just wait till I finish my master's degree and I start making real money. He was like, because right now you out earn me and I can't be with a woman who out earns me because I don't want to do dishes. And I feel like I have to do dishes at household chores if I, if she out earns. And he was dead serious. And then he got a really great position and started making a lot of money and circled back around. And I just remember thinking, this is not going to work because his worth is attached to how much he earns. And that for me, that can never work in a relationship or a person. Thinking about, you know, professional events that you attend that are specifically for attorneys, I would imagine women are less seen or the percentage of women is astronomically less than the number of men has that ever been an issue in your relationships just that you work in a male-dominated environment so what's interesting is while it is male-dominated I like black men so as it relates to lawyers I'm not I'm not sure how often numbers are black women versus black men I think we might be edging up to where there might be more black female attorneys than male However, I definitely know that majority of the Black males that I meet in the legal industry, they're married. So they are there. A lot of them don't even care to say married, but they, and they are there. And by it being so male-dominated, one thing I absolutely do experience is that they are, they're big flirts and they're not really good with boundaries. Like if they find that you're attractive, an attractive attorney, all hell, you know, everything goes to the wind. They will flirt. They will be inappropriate. So you really have to be able to just stand in your confidence. I generally find some funny, witty way to politely decline and then kind of go on my way. But definitely, there's definitely more male, I would say, energy, charisma, and more male dominance as far as the leadership roles within the law and positions of power, for sure. And so I want to get into 
I think this is a really good topic. So prenups. So being a woman who is successful and, you know, you seem to have dated a variety of men and I, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, continue without saying you were on a reality show for dating. You were on ready huh? to love. Yeah. And I, I watched every episode. I was like, oh, I can't miss this episode. I have to see what's about to happen. I love it. <laughs> and from the first episode, I was looking and I was like trying to pinpoint the people. But when you think about dating later in your thirties and, you know, you made some successful accomplishments in life and you're wanting to sort of move forward, should women who are in this successful, oh gosh, should women who are sort of at this age and have become successful and they're worried about who they're going to end up with, should they look into a prenup? Sure, should. Pre and postnup. A lot of people don't realize the prenup. Yeah, so prenup only protects what you own prior to marriage. Postnup protects whatever you're going to gain during the marriage, which you don't even know. So for example, perfect example, Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre had a prenup. That only protected the rights to his songs, his royalties, his, that, you know, interest in those kinds of things, which he owned prior to marrying old girl. But Beats by Dre, honey, it was open season because he did not have a post nup, right? So that's how she got, I think now she gets like $125,000 a month for the rest of her life or until she remarries. But I do think it makes sense too, because I believe in keeping honest people honest. By that, I mean, the thing about divorce is this. You don't, people, all these people are like, but I love them. If you really love me, you're thinking about our end, da, 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 da. Here's the thing. If I divorce you, I'm not divorcing you. I'm divorcing the person that you turned into. I'm divorcing you because who I love doesn't exist anymore. And my loyalty is to who I'm committed to and who I'm agreeing to now. And I think that's fair. So the prenup is if you marry Dr. Jekyll, you know, you marry Mr. Heidi becomes Dr. Jekyll and vice versa. And so I think, and also a lot of times, modern days, a lot of people have children before they've already married. You owe it to your children. If you're marrying someone that's not their parent, you owe it to your children to protect the resources that you're going to be leaving or potentially leave to them. Because when you don't have a prenup and then you start a new business or a postnup and you start a new business and you put your blood, sweat and tears into it, let's say it becomes Etsy and y'all divorce, your child doesn't get the other half. Your ex-husband and his new mistress do. That's how people end up on Dateline, okay? I watch a lot of crime stories. But yes, those are some of the things that you can put in place to not only protect yourself, but also your legacy. You know, something I've seen in the news, you know, other, other things that are sort of related to, to law, I've seen people who were a mistress end up being sued for breaking up a marriage. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I thought that was so interesting. I'm like, this is a law in some states. You can sue someone because they cheated with your spouse. And Mm -hmm. I I was like, what, when did this? So what are your thoughts on that? I don't even know what the law is called. Right. So I know that North Carolina, I believe is one state. And then California has some version of it. 
because I remember that guy who owned the LA Clippers, the old fat white man. And he had the black mistress. She caught him on camera saying the N word and released the footage. He owned the, yeah, he owned the Clippers. And as a result, he had to give up his interest in the Clippers, but he gave it up to his wife. So like, this is dumb. And she sued the mistress because basically he used some of the marital funds to buy her a car and a house and this and that. First of all, gotta respect the gamesmanship. Very wise. But I think it's such an antiquated law because in the end, it pretty much only punishes the woman and the man gets out scot-free. Yeah, I think that's certainly one of those outdated laws because nowadays, divorce can actually take a really long time. So you could be in a situation where he tells you he's separated, he tells you he's in the middle of a divorce and that it's over, shows you this divorce paperwork, but some way they resalvage the relationship. And in the meantime, you guys are living together. He's, you know, paying your bills and helping take care of you. And you end up in the situation. So, you know, I feel like it's, it's all that stuff is just risky and it's all hilarious. I, I just, I would like to see more stories and more shows about it because I like watching train wrecks, but I certainly think that's one of those types of laws that definitely should be updated and shouldn't exist anymore. Wow. You know, I always see the stories and I'm always interested to hear how that even goes, but you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned something about you know, someone cheating and buying someone something. And I think that takes us to the topic of, of money and relationships and, you know, not only, you know, managing what's happening in, in a marriage and how things dissolve with a prenup, but going all the way back to dating, you know, I always tell people, you have to understand your spouse's financial situation before you get a little bit more serious. You have to understand, do they work where they said they work? Do they make the amount of money they said they were working? What's their credit look like? And I saw your, your podcast episode where you and your, your boyfriend looked at each other's credit report. And I was like, this is so bomb because so many people miss that. <laughs> and it's like, you have to, at this particular age, I'm like, look, I can't walk you with do. you for a year or two and help you fix your credit. But <laughs> so when you think about relationships and, and as it relates to walking into a marriage and prenup and all of these things, how should someone walk into that situation to discuss their financial position? Great question. Definitely, I think hold off until you guys are ready to be in a committed relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend. You will run a man, you will run him off to Africa. He will go as far away from you as he can if you start doing that while you're just in the initial talking stage, I'll call it. But when you get into that stage where you, know, you think you're about to be boyfriend or girlfriend, check his temperature or her temperature and say, you know, finances are a really important thing to me. If, if you feel like you're ready for us to be in a committed exclusive relationship, that's definitely a conversation that we need to have so that we can see if we're even on the same page. And I think when you do that, it, it certainly sets the tone and it, you know, it helps you guys know where you're at, but, but also if someone is just not open to discussing that at all, that's a red flag. Also, if someone, for me, if they talk about it too early, I was on a first date with a guy. Five minutes in, he bought me a drink and he was like, so tell me how much money do you make? what boy bye get away from me weirdo get away from me weirdo and 
and and the conversation continued and he confirmed his weirdness and that didn't work out but I also think it's important to explain to the other person the why because this may be the first time they've ever had that type of a conversation so you have to do it delicately and then also understand a portion of their hesitation could be because they're embarrassed about theirs so let them know it's also important to let them know this isn't about how much you make. This is about, I really want to start with just understanding our credit scores and our credit history, because it tells a story of what you've been through in your life, at least the last seven to eight years, right? And I think distinguishing, I don't, I'm not asking about what you make. I'm, I want to learn about your spending habits. So let's consider exchanging credit reports and discussing them. And the reason that I say this is I dated a poor person a few years ago. Okay. All the attributes he went to a super high ranked exclusive school, very handsome. He reiterated to me Buku times. He worked in finance. We met drunk on an island, you know, one party weekend. That's another story. And he decided that he fell in love in the club with me and wanted to move to Dallas from where he lived. So we spoke and I was very clear. I was like, I'm open to it. And I said, but listen, if you were to move to Dallas, I don't do shacking. You could stay with me two weeks. Then you would need to get a place. He comes to Dallas. He stays for two weeks. He doesn't get a place. I'm like, what's the deal? Ultimately, what I learned is his credit was so bad. He had both a foreclosure and an eviction on his credit history. 40 years old. No, thank you. And you know what? And something else that, you know, when usually when I am speaking to women about dating relationships and money, in addition to looking at the credit report, I'm, I'm always like, look, you better look this man up, get his background check. And I know mm-hmm. <laughs> you've done that. So I was like, oh my God, we think exactly alike. But but also I'm thinking like child support because if you- Oh, in fact, I got a trick for that. Okay. <laughs> Y'all, for the background check, go to binverified.com. Binverified.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might charge you like $12.99. I can't remember. If you want just one, you can get that person. You can get their background. Also, you can just go to the local county records, criminal records, put their first and last name in, pop them in, and you'll see what's there. But for the child support, child support is so important. Each state has like a most wanted list. I definitely dated a guy put his name in the system. That sucker popped out. He was Louisiana's most wanted. I said, God damn it. And I thought I finally got a man with green eyes. You know, I was so mad. That's such a good point because I tell people, find out, you know, where that person has lived and look in all those county databases. That information is free, but also, yeah, the been verified. My friends think I'm crazy. They're like, you look up everyone. I'm like, I look, you don't know. And we're getting older. You don't know what people have done in their lives. You know, I think it's, I, I think that's like a number one tip for women, especially to understand the legal aspect. But then mm-hmm. you know, when you're wanting to get serious understanding, what am I walking into? Because am I going to be helping you okay. down all this debt or someone who doesn't have a good relationship with their child's mother? I always say my thing, I don't mind dating a man with kids, but I always say, hold on, like, are you being sued for child support or are you just, you know, are y'all in agreement? Because I don't want my wages garnished. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. So, and my thing is I don't date men with kids unless they're divorced. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's my personal thing because I was raised in a two parent home. I I don't date men who just run out here just spreading their seeds and and walking down the street. I and I like men who plan their future and plan their families. It's very mm-hmm. important to date a man for me that plans his family. Although I don't, you know, at this point we're older, you know, good men are good men. But I also I strongly advise girls. I dated this guy because I was serious and I've always been clear that I only date men who are divorced with children because I want to know you married her, you took care of your family, you gave it a good try and it didn't work. I don't want to know that you impregnate all your girlfriends. And in this particular case, I was dating this guy and he told me he had three children with his ex-wife. Not a problem. But one day he's, I was like, Hey, what are you doing? He was, he lived in another city sometimes. It was in New Orleans. And he, he showed me a picture. He was like, hey, I'm helping my daughter with her homework. And he sends me a picture. Well, the homework, her last name wasn't his last name. I said, why is her last name? Whatever it is. He's like, oh, sometimes she does that when she's mad at me. She'll put her mom's last name on her paperwork. I was like, mm, I don't believe you. So I called the state attorney general's office. So because that's who, you know, has all the child support paperwork. So I was like, hey, I want to get a record of so-and-so's child support payments. And their child support orders that they're, you know, under any order. And they were like, oh, are you his attorney? And I was like, no. They're like, well, I can't release this unless you're his attorney. And I was like, listen, I am not his attorney, but I am a attorney. And potentially I have a huge settlement for him. He could be coming into a lot of money, i.e. like me, my bank account, my assets. And I am concerned that, you know, he may be on the hook for some monies and I would hate for him to get the money when there are children in the state of Texas who would be going without. Really, this law actually applies to like, honestly, if there's like a car wreck settlement, but the guy child support, you have to pay off the child support before you cut the guy check. I knew this law existed. So I just kind of insinuated that that's what I was relying on. So it was a black lady on the other side of the line. I knew because I know our voices. And so I heard she was like, hold on, sis. She was like, okay. She goes back to the phone. She's like, all right, you got a pen and some paper. I said, yes, ma'am. She was like, okay, write this down. Keisha Jenkins versus my ex's name. Cause number, da, 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 da. Order to pay a $100 a month child support arrears in the amount of $25,872. I was like, God damn. She was like, and... Tiffany Jenkins versus ex-boyfriend's name, orders to pay child support in amount of $68 a month, child support arrears in amount of $10,000. I said, oh my gosh, thank you. And LaQuavia Edwins versus ex-boyfriend's name, child support award of $125 a month, child support arrears in amount of $51,000, such and such and such. She goes, oh, and sis, I recommend you also contact the state of Louisiana. I said, oh my God. I said, so wait a minute. Okay, this is three case numbers. So does this mean three children? She said, no, it means three baby moms. Oh no, wow. So instead of him having three kids, I ultimately learned he had a minimum of seven, seven that I was aware of because the three that I actually knew of, he was not on child support for those three. So this was three more. And then Louisiana had him as Louisiana's most wanted for like two hours. So, so ladies, I just say this to say, 
one way you can find out about the arrears, call and act like you have a personal injury car wreck settlement or a guy. <laughs> oh man, well, you know what? <laughs> that is, that's so funny, but it's so unfortunate that men lie about their children or they lie about these different situations. And I want to go back to, to your being on the, on the reality show. I know Sometimes it's sad. The saying is you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince. And I've been following you online and it seems like you found your <laughs> prince charming. So I definitely want you to shed a little light on the experience of what it was like to be on a dating show. It was definitely a once in a lifetime experience. I would definitely say that. I think it was super exciting for me. Because it, I was on Ready to Love, and Ready to Love at that point was a show. I was a super fan. I had watched every single episode. And previously, it had been in Atlanta. And I always say as I'd watch it, I'd be like, man, I'd love to be on this show, but I'm never going to move to Atlanta. So, you know, there's no chance. So when a friend of mine was like, hey, would you ever consider doing a dating reality show? I was like, I don't know. What's it called? She said, Ready to Love. I was like, girl, that's my show. So I applied. Once I got a call back, I was like, oh, I got this. I got this coach. But so what it was like was it was definitely dating on steroids. It was extremely intense because on my season, it was during COVID. So they moved us to a resort and we filmed on site at a resort. So it was cameras in your face every day. It was literally being on every day as far as like, you know, being taped and photographed. But in the end, I think the best part was I had an environment where all the men were pre-screened, as we just discussed. They were very, very handsome and they were kind. Like I didn't have any a-holes on my show. And I, I don't really believe that they generally cast them anyway, because a-holes are so unlikable on TV generally. So yeah, it was a really, it was a really good experience overall. Certainly challenging definitely something that can kind of the, the the sentiment the feeling could never be replicated and yeah I had a ball now when you were on the show from the first episode I think the meet and greet uh you and Rashid had an interaction and I was like oh mm -hmm. they are so cute and it was it was the most hilarious like interaction <laughs> I think it went viral online but even my mom was mm -hmm. talking about it like, <laughs> so cute but as the show went on like I was looking at the connections and I, I was like they look so good together the and then the date Aww. in the truck and so I was mm -hmm. like screaming at the tv every time he was um talking about the other girl the one that had ghosted <laughs> him before and I was like and I guess the audience if you haven't watched it go watch the show it's on own uh ready to love uh -huh. resort but I will say yeah. that you were voted off the show and I mm -hmm. was like and I was like, these people have lost their minds. I was looking at some of the, the other ladies and looking at some of the other guys and the connections. And, and I'm, I'm like, what? I'm like, how does this show process? How are these decisions made? These people have lost their mind. But I was happy to see that after the show, you sort of reconnected with one of the castmates. Yes. And I mean, it's, I'm like, when is the wedding? So y'all look so good together. And it's like the on-screen chemistry. You're doing the the um, podcast via YouTube. And when you first came on there, I was like, okay, maybe they're just friends. But I was like, no, they're sitting too close together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It was so she's referring to Rashid was one of my castmates. I was on season three of Ready to Love. Actually, if you look on DVR, I think it comes up as season two. 
it's called the last resort is what they refer to that season as the last resort because we were on a resort. And yeah, so Rashid, it was very, it was so typical of my dating style, which is I find who I like. I totally walk in my femininity. I let him know I'm interested. And then I let him take the lead from there because he's gonna either going to lead or not. And you can't be with me if you're not a leader. Like, I'll go find one, someone who is. And so, and Rashid is an exotic car broker. He does like car sales for different exotic cars. And so us both being business owners has been really interesting, fun, and challenging because we have a lot of free time together, but we also work a lot in similar environments. So it was really exciting. There have only been like a three or four couples that have come from the show, but there's been like five seasons. So basically almost like one a season and we were one of them. And it's just, it was definitely a shocker because we didn't actually end the season together as a couple. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to know from you being on the show, do you think that that has enhanced your work portfolio and outside relationships? I definitely have met a number of more people from having from having been on the show. I've met a number of more people from having been on the show. I've definitely made a lot more friends. Work-wise, it's such a good question. And work-wise, I certainly have had more clients. That, that exposure has been very positive. So it really just varies. I mean, like, you know, you get some positive feedback, you get some negative feedback, but even with the negative feedback, I have to just remind myself, like, they don't know me. They're not talking about me. They're talking about the portrayal of me that they saw on television. And I'm okay with that because I can't control that. So I'm okay with that. Any, any downsides do you think from being on reality TV? Sure. I mean, yeah, for like some of my castmates, for sure. I'm just like, some of them are like crazy in real life. So it was like, right. I, will, I won't name any names of who I think. Right. Is. Yeah. But it was, it was, a, it was a couple people I was side-eyeing on that season. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that's, that's always something. And it was just like, yeah, I think, I think that would be the main thing. It's just also, it's just like the inability to control, you know, what people do see is challenging too. And, and understanding that the negative feedback that you're getting, especially in my case, because in my case, I did the first season, but they knew they wanted me to come back for a second season. So there was a very limited, there was a very limited amount that I was shown on TV and a limited amount of my personality that was shown. Therefore, you didn't get to see like people who know me, they were like, that's not like you or I didn't get to see, you know, your outgoingness, your funniness, like no one would know that I was like a hilarious person in real life. But it was because their expectation was, oh, we're going to bring her back and you'll see the rest of her character development. So I definitely was a bit salty at my depiction initially. So I guess a a negative would be like, if you don't like how you're depicted, there's literally nothing you can do about it. That's definitely a scary editing. That's one thing you can't control now. Right. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know we're, we're nearing the end of the show and you shared so many gems as it relates to your background and starting a business and, and, and money, you know, che- making sure you're checking that credit report if you're dating someone <laughs> and how to look for child support. But I want to ask this question. So this is a show question and then we'll get into some last words, but 
Okay. A part of my brand, with me being a financial educator, I created a workbook called Following on a Budget. It's a part of the brand. And that phrase has been around for years, even before oh, I, love it. I started to use it. But when you think of that phrase, falling on a budget, what does that mean mm-hmm. to you? What that sounds to me is having the time of your life, having a ball, having fun, but doing it within your means. Not letting social media determine how much you should spend or anyone else for that matter, but doing what you enjoy within your means. Because in the end, are you even really having fun? If you know that at the end, you know, you can't afford this, your, your checks are going to bounce, you, you can't pay your other bills. Of course not. Okay. I like it. I like it. So really not letting social media influence you. And I think that's really big in this day and age of uh, tech and, and digital. And we spend most of our time online being in that particular space. I've seen it. I tell people all the time I spent, I took a year off of corporate and spent a year as a quote unquote influencer. And some of those people, let me tell you, they post fancy things online, but they're broke in real life. For real. Right. So you definitely have to do things that are for you and, and really hold yourself accountable. So Simone, where can our listeners find you online? So I have the podcast with my boyfriend on YouTube called Ages and Stages, where we talk about dating and stuff and also review the show that we were on, Ready to Love. We review the more current seasons. But I really want you to subscribe and follow to my YouTube channel called Girl, Is That Legal? (laughs) So it is my channel where I talk celebrity gossip, but we also talk legal celebrity drama. And I also answer viewer questions and provide some legal tips. So check it out. Girl, is that legal on YouTube? And you can also follow me on Instagram at attorney Simone Redwine. And it's Simone with a Y. Awesome. And we'll post those links in the show notes. So Simone, Mm -hmm. this has been such a good conversation. And hopefully down the road, we can have you back and we can do something on video. But yeah, I want to know if there's any last words you have for listeners. I would just say live within your means find happiness within your means. You can always grow. Your means can always grow, but if you're not happy, who cares how you're spending your money? You know, focus on your happiness first. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online milestones, motivation, and money.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at milestones, motivation, and money. Tune in next time.